The Rim Factory started a few years ago, and uh, it was actually started by Ben Lindsay, who's going to be speaking to us today. Uh, many of you will recognise Ben from New Day. He's been here for many, many years. Many of you will know Ben just from the Rhythm Factory and from the main stage and things like that. Uh, I know Ben very well, and I'm really looking forward to what he's got to say today. He's speaking on an issue that we know is really important. Um, and so he's brought a few friends with him, so I'll let him intro himself and talk a little bit more about that. But I want you to give a big New Day round of applause. Make some noise for Ben Lindsay, please. Cool. Yes, how you all doing? How you doing? That's lame. How are you doing? You enjoying New Day, yeah? Like Joe said, this is amazing to see. We set up, me and my wife set up Ribbon Factory like 2009 when Joe was just, well, I was going to say littler. He's kind of small anyway. But when he was smaller and all his mates were running around and it's turned into something massive. So I'm really pleased to be here. I've come all the way from South East London. As you said, my name's Ben Lindsay. I am a, a pastor at a church called Emmanuel New Cross, based in South East London. I wasn't always that, but that's what I do. And the title of today's seminar, How Many More Lives? How Many More Lives? I just want to give you a little bit of context. Why are we talking about serious youth violence? Why are we talking about knife crime? Why now? The last year of my life, the last 18 months, have been the best and absolute worst of my life, if I'm being really honest. It's been the very best because we launched a church in, in the heart of a place where I grew up in South East London to launch a church where your friends are, where your family are. It's an incredible privilege. But also in the last year... I have seen too many young people being killed and as a result of serious youth violence and knife crime. As I said, I grew up in South East London. When I was growing up, I didn't grow up around gangs and serious youth violence. But my issue and the young people issue, all my friends at that time, we were running away from racists. Racist people were trying to kill me and my friends. I'd walk down the street and they would try and kill us, literally. They would pull knives out. They would do that type of stuff. People who didn't look like me, people from a, a different colour, that was my issue. So imagine my surprise. Fast forwarding 20 odd years, and the issue is now I see people who look like me killing each other. It's crazy what we're seeing. I became a Christian when I was like 22, 23. And as I said, I didn't grow up in serious youth violence. But the moment I became a Christian, God broke my heart and did something in my heart to say, you know what, this is an area I want you to give your time and energy to. He broke my heart to families and young people going through all types of stuff. It was a powerful time. As a result of that, I started working for the youth offending service, the local youth offending service. I started working with some young people. And in 2008 was the first young person, a kid called Shackless, who I worked with, and he was murdered. It, was a, it, was a, it happened in Fulton Heath in a place in South London. An absolute nightmare situation. Fast forward from there to now, the situation's even worse. In the last year, we've had a 14% rise across the UK in serious youth violence. If you get that slide up. Go to the next one. 
You can see these type of stats. 14% rise. If you go to the next slide. You know, this is, you know it's not just a London thing, yeah? I know a few people would talk like that, but it's not just a London thing. You can see here all the knife crime offences across the UK. And just in case you thought I was going to forget Scotland, because I wouldn't ever want to do that. Big up anyone from Scotland in the house. There's been a 10% rise in Scotland alone. 1,720 knife incidents. Now, this doesn't represent people being killed. This is representing people who have had knife incidents reported to the police. There's a lot more stats we could talk about who have had uh, close shaves and stuff like that. Let's go back to the, the two young people. While well, I say it was the worst year of my life, April 2016, this young man, uh, a young man called Myron Yard, I've known Myron since he was one years old. He was a, a lovely kid and he used to do all types of play practical jokes on, on all of us. He was just a lovely kid. He used to do little dances. And now all kids, you get older. And in April last year, he got caught up in a madness and he was stabbed to death in South East London in New Cross. I know the family very well. Uh, I know his friends very well. And I had to take a memorial service for him. I had to take a memorial service for somebody who I've known since it was one. Then, that was April. Then August last year, while we're here on the Thursday night, worshipping and all types of stuff going on, his friend, Leon, who goes by the stage name of Shoki, was then killed. Some of you might remember it. Because what happened, it was caught on Snapchat. This is the world we're living in now. People get killed and it gets caught on Snapchat. And for a lot of people, especially people from South London, they saw him bleeding out. I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to say some stuff today which might sound a bit tough, but I want to try and paint a landscape. And that video went across the campsite. And the leaders here, I, it's weird. I was there that day. I was here that day and I had to go home. And then the leaders here, Joel Virgo and all those guys, basically prayed the next day for the young people here who may well have been impacted from that. This Saturday will be a year uh, since Leon died. His dad phoned me yesterday and he's asked me to say a few words. So that's twice now in a year I've got to go in front of my community and say some words about a young life being wasted. This is the landscape. This is what we're dealing with. Why is it important? It's important because ultimately, nobody, I definitely don't want to see young people die, but this is the landscape of what's going on. It's important to know that there are important things happening. When we launched our church, I definitely felt that God was saying, you know what, I want you to be a church and be a leader who's at the forefront of this issue. So what have we done? We've connected in with some charities like XLP. We've trained some people in my church to be mentors in the community. We've set up a bi-monthly prayer meeting called the Battle for Lewisham, where all different church leaders and young people and people working in this area come together and pray. There are lots of important things happening. We've, done, we've set up programs in local schools, specifically around knife crime. It's a timely issue. But why is it happening? And what can we do? And more importantly, what, you can, what can you do? 
But well, this is what I want to do. For the next couple of minutes, I just want to talk a bit about what the Bible says. And then I've basically got four or five of the best people I know who work in this field. And we're going to almost have like a bit of a conversation, almost like a discussion if it was like in my lounge, in my, in my, in my house. And you're going to be privy to that, that information, what we're going to talk about. But this is what it says in Galatians 5. This is what it says in Galatians 5. It won't come up. I just want you to listen to this. But I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and other things. I'm going to be honest, as much as I love Myron, as much as I love a lot of the young people who unfortunately have have got caught up in this, the things in what the Bible says are the reasons why they're dead. Fits of anger, jealousy, envy. This is the type of stuff which was involved in Myron's life. Myron was killed over a bike. Someone stole his bike. He heard his bike was at a particular place. He went down there to try and get it and it ended up in a madness. Leon was killed because he had lots of uh, YouTube followers, maybe 200,000 hits on YouTube as an artist. And he was in a party in Peckham and jealousy got him killed. So when we're talking about it, it's important when we read the Bible that we contextualize it into what is going on in our lives. This is what got them killed. But guess what? As always, Jesus has a solution. I've seen so many different strategies. I've worked in local and central government. I've seen money being poured in to strategies to stop serious youth violence over and over again. And I'm going to tell you something. The thing which I've seen the most work and be consistent is when someone gives their heart to Jesus. I see heart transformation, which isn't a six-week program. You know them programs. We're going to do six weeks, and you're going to learn how to make a track, or you're going to learn how to dance. And I'm not saying any of that stuff is bad. But if you're talking about a long-term transformation, I'm going to be honest. Jesus is the way. And what do you get from that? Well, if we keep reading, this is what it says about the fruits of the Spirit. But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is what I want to say to you guys today. The vast majority of you are not involved with serious youth violence. Some of you might be, and there'll be an opportunity for us to maybe pray for you later, but the vast majority of you are not. In the same way when I was a kid, and I wasn't involved in this stuff. But trust me, today I feel God wants to put something in your heart and give you the authority to be the answers to the issue what is going on nationwide. I was praying with my wife yesterday, and I saw future MPs. I saw future policy makers. I saw future youth workers. 
I saw future pastors all engaging with their community, impacting this serious youth violence issue. I believe a lot of you are here is because you're sick of what you see in the media. You're sick of the strife and the anger and all the pain that you're seeing, and you want an answer. Two things which are going to help you today. One, we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come in on you, and these attributes here, love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control to be in your hearts. Because only love will conquer hate. Trust me. That's the first thing. The second thing we're going to do is that I don't want to just say stuff and not equip you. I don't want to just say, okay, this is what you need and go about your business. No, no, no. We're going to have some people up here and we're going to have a discussion so you guys understand what you're actually involved in and how you can actually help. Does that sound all right? Yeah? Do you believe that God is mighty? Do you believe God is powerful? Do you believe that God is capable of changing the trend of youth violence and knife crime in the UK? Because I believe it. Let me tell you a quick story. 23 years ago, I couldn't walk down certain places in southeast London because of the colour of my skin. Literally, when I was 15, 16, if I walked down a certain street or certain road in southeast London, I would be fearing for my life. It's no joke. Certain places I couldn't go to, my mum would be saying, why are you going there? Get a cab here. I felt I could have been stabbed by people who didn't like me for the colour of my skin. 23 years later, I do that. I'm not saying that racism is gone, but what I am saying is that I can now walk down those streets and not fear for my life. What does that tell me? God is in the business of reversing trends. If I saw it then, and I lived that, I myself almost died from a, uh, an altercation with some people who didn't like me. If I can see it with that, I can see it with this. And I believe that God is going to use you to do that. So, I want to invite my esteemed guests up. Please give them a big hand. As I said, these guys are some of the best people I know. They've travelled from a far, far land called London, South East London. Uh, and um, why don't you introduce yourselves? That'd be really good if we do that, first of all. I'm Junior. I'm 17. I'm from Brixton. Big up, Brixton. Make some noise. Make some noise. Yeah. Uh, my name's Claude. Uh, I manage a mentor programme in Lewisham, South East London. Um, the programme's called XLP. Hi, my name's Simone. Um, I'm from Deptford. I work in a school called Addie and Stanhope um, as a behaviour support worker. Hi, I'm Selena from Birmingham. Um, but I've lived in London for four years. I'm a lecturer in politics and theology. What? I t- uh, hold on, I told you you weren't playing with the type of people who got up here. Gone. Um, I'm Laura. I'm originally from Gloucestershire, but I've been in London six years. And I work for a charity in South London with young women around safety and healthy relationships. And you led, hold on. <laughs> and you led the Riven Factory for a couple of years as well. <laughs> Everyone's missing out important things. Don't worry, I, I know everything about these guys. I'm going to let you know some stuff about them as well. All right, we're just going to have a bit of a discussion, and hopefully, what some of the stuff we're going to talk about will help you. And then off the back of that, I, I want to worship. 
I want to pray. I want to see what God does. I honestly believe that God wants to do some stuff in people's hearts, whether you're involved in serious youth violence or not. So, um, the first question I've got really is, we know that a lot of young people are in battle, in a battle when it comes to serious youth violence. And um, what do you think are some of the things which are stopping young people from breaking that cycle, coming out of that? What are some of the things which are stopping them from kind of winning that battle? Um, so at the school, one of the major things that has been occurring recently is social media. Um, lots of things, really, girls on social media exposing themselves. But regarding the young men, instant gratification is a thing. So when they're seeing everybody with red bottom shoes or name brand clothes, they're not understanding the sweat and tears that go behind that. So they're not seeing the half hard graft. All they're seeing is people getting that the next day. Where does their money come from? So they want that money instantly, which then leads to them doing things to get that money. Um, for me, um, I've grown up in an area where you see people and like they're always with each other and always hanging around each other. And it's kind of like they're like a family. And um, everyone wants that one and you want to be a part of something and they're a part of something, even though... It is um, what you consider bad and is violent, but at the same time, um, we have this need to want to do these, to be a part of something. So these people are a part of something. And when, when you're coming in, they're promising you, oh, like, I'll do this for you, we'll protect you, we'll have laughs together, we'll do this and we'll do that. But then also when you want to leave, um, when you leave that family, what's going to replace that? Because you, you have that want. And these people, they're always around you and they're influencing you. So that's why it's so hard for some people to leave. So a whole sense of belonging to a family, kind of how you would break that. There's a lot of promises which come with that. There's a lot of kind of sense of loyalty. There's all that type of business. But also, as Simone said, like the whole idea of social media promoting this kind of idea of immediate gratification and materialism kind of puts you in a bit of a trap. Would that be a fair summary of what you're saying? Okay, um, and then I suppose just from that, from a, on a positive, um, in your experience, what was the tipping point for change? What was the thing which got you out of the mentality of, I'm going to be in this group of people? Because I don't really like using the word gang, because as Junior just kind of said, actually it's family and it's a group of people who people may have known and grown up with, and the media like to call it a gang, I think that the average young person wouldn't necessarily call it that. But how do you break out of that? Um, what, was the, what was the kind of tipping point for that? I don't know anybody can answer that question. So um, for, for me, I would say um, I was caught up in a life of crime. I'm, I'm 37. I know I don't look it. I'm short and I look young. Uh, a few grey <laughs> hairs. But um, I would say for about 10 years, um, I... I grew up in a community, I grew up in an area called New Cross in southeast London. And for me, one of the things that made me kind of, I guess, get stuck into that life of crime and making choices that weren't good for my life was just a lack of self-worth, um, a lack of identity. Didn't know, you know, who I was and didn't know that God had a purpose for my life. And I think these things here um, caused me to, I guess, make decisions that weren't conducive or weren't right for my life. Um, and then there came a point after, you know, 
going in and out of prison, selling drugs, sitting in crack houses, my friends being murdered. There came a point where I was like, there's got to be more to life than this. And I started asking God, like, you know, God, what, what is it? What is it? Why am I on earth? You know, um, everyone tells me about God and tells me about Jesus. And um, some, I remember someone just saying that you need, to, you need to see God for yourself. So one of the first things for me was acceptance, accepting this is where I'm at. My life is not right and acknowledging that. And then secondly, asking God to help me where I couldn't help myself. Um, and then it was almost like just spending some time in God's word. Um, and I think is, is Junior, Junior said about, you know, being connected to a group of people that you've known for a long time to pull away is really hard. It's almost like, so what do you do next? And for me, I, I really felt God, you know, he allowed me to keep some of those friends, but some of those friends, um, you know, weren't good for my life. So he added some new people to my life and I got a mentor. Someone started mentoring me and it was through, through the mentor and it helped me to kind of change my outlook on life. And it kind of gave me a vision and I realized that I had a purpose and, you know, I realized that my identity was in Christ and not what I, what I did or who I hung out with. And that's cool. I appreciate maybe not everybody would have had the same experience of being in a crack house and even being in, in, in prison. Um, I know, Simone, when we were talking a little bit before, when we were talking about tipping point, you had a really good point about uh, like circumstances changing issues. Yeah, so sometimes it's a case of something turns completely sour in terms of someone close to you does die or you get taken advantage of in a certain aspect of your life. Um, so generally, that can change your mindset in terms of, is this for me or you don't want that to happen to you, which in terms, hopefully, you have somebody around you then turns you to God. But I think this is why we're here, to show you that God is here for you. But generally, it takes a sour tipping point. And that's, and that's a fair point. I mean, some of the young people I've worked with, um, we've been in situations where it has got to the point where they, got, they went to prison or they got to the point when they, they did get stabbed or one of their best friends. So when it comes to Shoki and when it comes to Myron, I've spoken to a lot of their, their mates and it has kind of been a bit of a wake-up call. But we don't really want it to get to that point. We don't want to get to the point of people being killed for that to be a wake-up call. So I suppose that's just a challenge. Even as you're hearing this, are there some things that you might be involved in? And as you just heard from these guys, you don't want it to get to the point of fatality or you're suddenly sitting in a cell or, you know, you've just, you know people have gone through stuff. So it's just something to think about. Okay, um, I'm aware, as we said, not everybody in this room has had experiences with serious youth violence. And, and therefore, I'm looking at you two in particular, um, unless there's something you're about to confess, which will be awkward. Um, <laughs> but I suppose the question is, how did you manage to stay away from certain things? Like, Celine, you grew up in Birmingham, you know. Um, it's not too different from, from what we see in, in many inner cities. Uh, so I'm just interested in how you managed to kind of keep away from that in the first place. So probably two things. The first thing is growing up in quite a strong family was really, like, important for me. So I'm the oldest of four kids, so I have two brothers and a sister. Uh, and, like, as, as a family, we had a very clear idea of what the expectations were. Like, we didn't grow up with lots of money. We had just enough. 
we didn't go on fancy holidays or whatever and that could very easily have made us think oh let's just make loads of money whatever way we can but I feel like we grew up in a Christian family and the expectation was like get a job work hard and buy a house and do the things that are important to you and we didn't really have examples of people in our family who were involved with things that would get us in trouble with the police or get us in prison or in places where violence was happening um, so having role models of people that are doing things in a way that's, that's fruitful and helpful and legal is really helpful and, and I think secondly growing up in a really good church was important because we always had a very strong sense that God had chosen us and we belonged to him and we couldn't just do whatever we wanted to do with our lives and like I think as a young person like really believing that God sees you and knows you and cares about you every second of every day and he's with you when you're waking up and he's with you when you're figuring out what to do about that boy that you like or that girl that you like like he's literally involved in those details and allowing him to have a say in that I think will really help you avoid a lot of those traps. Yeah, and as I said, uh, that's helpful. And as I kind of said before, for me, I never got caught up in it. That's not to say that I was an angel. and That's not to say that I didn't know people around it. But some of the things which kept me personally away from wanting to sell drugs, pick up a knife, all these types of stuff. Um, sport got me, got me kind of just away from a certain lifestyle. I was up until about 38 years old. I still thought I could make it into the Premier League, and I still do, so don't burst that bubble please but that was you know that was something which was keep keep going in my heart and in my mind I was just playing a lot of football music also was something which I I, I found myself DJing at 14 15 um, promoting my own raves when I was in my, in my later teens that type of stuff I was just like you know what not that I'm saying making money and getting a status is all you want to be looking for but it definitely kept me away from certain things um, I appreciate not everybody has that f- strong family unit, like Selena kind of said. But one thing is only when I walked into a church, I suddenly saw people who looked like me, who came from the same area as me. So when I walked into uh, a church called King's in, in, in Catford, I saw people who looked like me, who grew up in the same area and were doing pos- positive things. And I gravitated towards that. My hope for you guys would be, you know what, if you're looking, there are role models out there for you. There are people who do want to spend a bit of time and energy. You just got to maybe search them out. Um, Laura, I, I appreciate that you're someone who's come from Gloucester and farms and all types of stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can tell I've been there, yeah? Um, yeah farms and stuff, stuff yeah. Um, Yet, you are working um, in sunny Croydon and working with vulnerable women and right in the middle of the serious youth violence issues which is going on in in London. How did you get into that? Um, How would you encourage other people who are thinking, you know what, this is far from my, my, my world but I feel like I can make an impact in this. I feel God is directing me in this. Well, just maybe even tell your journey and how you got to that point. Um, so it was an, at an event similar to this actually um, I went to Soul Survivor when I was younger um, and heard the founder of XLP actually speak um, about what they were doing in London and I was doing youth work at home at the time and I think when you come from the countryside and you go to the city a lot of people think there aren't any issues in the countryside at all which if you're from the country you know that's not true and there's stuff going on there so I'd done a bit of youth work there um, and then when I moved to London for university um, I'd heard Patrick speak about XLP and what they were doing 
Um, and then a lady called Danielle Strickland speaks straight after that um, around being active in bringing, kind of changing culture and bringing young people to know who God really is. Um, and from that, just felt like XLP was where I wanted to volunteer my time when I came to London. Um, and through that and meeting Ben and doing various other things, um, ended up, yeah, doing youth work full time. Um, and I think it's definitely something like Ben that um, God broke my heart for. Um, and I think I don't work in a Christian setting or a Christian charity now, but I think there's so much power in being able to speak hope into young people's lives, whether it's in a church context or not. Um, so there's a young person that I was working with and she said to me one day, Laura, you don't get it. You see me in sessions and you uh, think that I'm this person, but I'm not. I'm really violent. I am a violent person. And I was able to say to her, I don't think you are. I think it's the culture that you've grown up in and it's the role models you've got around you and it's the way that other people have taught you to deal with conflict and the stuff that you're facing that has taught you to use violence maybe to respond to that but I don't believe you're a violent person and you can say that to people in a church context out of a church context but it has a huge amount of power because you know who you are in God and you know that there is hope because of God. Amen. Amen. Junior. Um, I think for me it was it was more difficult because um, I grew up in the area but um, from a young age, I saw the effect that it had on um, families. And I think from a young age, I, was just, I wasn't convinced to be involved in that lifestyle. But at the same time, you're growing up in it, so there's certain things that, that tempt you in this, like, certain aspects of you, like he's talking about in Galatians. Um, some of those things that like, my flesh cried out for, and before I became a Christian, like, you kind of want to go down that route. But um, it was the people that were in my lives, the, the people who were Christians who were loving Jesus that wouldn't have let me walk down that path that had good role models and that was God who did that and um, I'm just that's how I stayed I'm staying away from the path and now and now I'm a Christian I just it's the love of Jesus that keeps me away from it now amen amen and there's something about like what you said like almost the team you have around you and who you associate with I reckon for, I know for me, I, when I was growing up, it was difficult because a lot of the people I knew and I was associating with could have got me in serious trouble. Um, and there was a point in my life where I had to say, you know what, I can't go down this route with you because you're going down one path and I'm going down another path. But for me to do that, I remember when I first became a Christian, it was really helpful that I saw other Christians who were a similar age to me. And I don't know about you, but when I first became a Christian, I was a bit like, no one's going to really get me. I'm into a particular certain music. I'm into a particular uh, things I'm into and no one around me. And I prayed. I remember saying, I was praying. I was like, Lord, if you're going to want me to do this well, I'm going to need someone to partner with me. I'm going to need somebody who gets me. I'm going to need somebody who understands me. And I'm not joking, within about a week of me praying that, a, a particular guy turned up at church and we just like kicked it off from the beginning and this guy's still one of my closest friends and he's into similar stuff to me, we, we, you know, he dresses as good as I do, you know, all this type of stuff. And it was just, it was just really a joke, but it's somebody who you can just have a, be on a level with to walk with you. You see it in the Bible. You see people like Jonathan and David who are tight, you know. 
And I think it's really important. So again, I'd seek, if you, if you need that, if you're thinking this is a lonely job, I'd love to do what Junior's doing, just walk out, but this is a lonely job. Um, last thing, I, well, last two things. Would you want to, either of you, anybody here, really want to just speak particularly into the, into the lives of girls? Because I think when we talk about serious youth violence, sometimes girls get overlooked. I've been in many meetings where you've got this thing called the gang's matrix. All uh, London boroughs have this, and you're meant to have all the, the people in the gangs in this matrix. And every time I look down this matrix, I rarely see any girls, which either means no girls are involved in this stuff, um, or they're very clever. And we know that women and girls are involved. So I just wonder if there's anything you'd like to just say in your experience, or even encouragement with, that, with those situations. Like, this is a question we didn't plan for, so, you know. Okay. So I can speak openly, because I think last year I came here and spoke openly about my life. Um, I was one of those girls. Um, I think... Girls get overlooked because socially we're not supposed to be violent. Um, I guess as well it's looked upon like men make the money, whether that's legal or illegally. Um, I think speaking to girls, I think it's about knowing your worth. I think every day we're told different things about ourselves and we just can't seem to get it right. So in terms of looking to God, you find yourself and your identity... Um, I think you need to worry less about what anybody thinks about you, whether that be the opposite sex or other women. And I think that instead of, as women keep judging one another, we need to empower one another. Um, Because we have a tendency to look to the female next to us and scrutinise. Um, so, yeah, I just think come together and support one another in your walk and just don't look from, for acceptance from anyone but God. Um, I also think on this kind of area, we sometimes forget the fact that women experience and young women experience a huge amount of violence towards themselves as well. Um, so a lot of the pictures we'll see is actually young men being killed, but there are women across the country who are being killed in abusive relationships as well. And um, women experience and have always experienced a huge amount of violence. And so I'd just like to, I guess, like air that issue and say that that's not okay either. And when we're talking about violence um, and serious youth violence, we're talking about that across the board and the fact that... Um, God wants to bring freedom from that. And as um, Simone was saying, you know, we're all m- worth more being, than being treated like that. And God loves you. And, um, yeah, his love is perfect. Yeah. Just on, on girls and, and, and women, I also feel like I, I want to challenge some of the, well, all the guys in here. Um, I grew up listening to a particular type of music. I was into hip-hop. I was into R&B. I was into it heavily. And we were joking on the, on the way up. that like, We always think our parents don't really know what you're listening to. And then I get to a certain age and my mum was like, I remember when you were listening to this type of music. I remember the words which were coming out. I didn't want to challenge you too much. 
but it was disgusting and you, and, you, and you made to feel bad as an adult and all this type of stuff. But my challenge to the guys is to check what's influencing you. I'll tell you something, it wasn't until I had a daughter that I was like, wow. One day, I'm gonna, one of, maybe not one of you lot, because she's two, but you know, <laughs> maybe your younger brothers or sisters might come and knock on my door and be like, hopefully, hello, Mr. Lindsay, how you doing? I'd like to take your daughter out. And I hope that's what happens. But honestly, some of the things I know I was listening to and some of the influences in me, I wouldn't want me taking my daughter out when I was that age. So I just, there's a challenge for young men. Are we respecting girls in what we're listening to and what we're watching and how we speak to them? And the thoughts which is going on in our heads. Going back to the Galatian stuff, what we were talking about, the, those, 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 those fleshly feelings, that sexual morality and just the, the lust, what comes. I just realized there's a real challenge. We know that pornography and masturbation isn't a joke. Don't worry, I'm not going to get a show of hands or anything like that, but we know what we're talking about. But seriously, there's a challenge here for men. Are we respecting girls? Because how we treat women as these guys were saying, has an impact on how women then treat themselves and treat each other. So there's a, just a challenge there. Guys, I'm going to wrap it up. Oh, hold on. Claude's going to just say something up. quick. Just yeah. um, regarding the women, uh, young ladies, and even, even guys as well, it's, um, it's how we look at ourselves at times which will determine how we allow others to treat us. Mm. So how we look at ourselves will determine what we settle for when people approach us. Um, you are all priceless. Jesus died for every one of you in this room. Every one of you. And no one ever buys a diamond from a jewelry shop and places it in a wooden ring. There's, it, it just, they just, just don't go. You can't get a wooden band with a priceless diamond. And basically what I feel God is saying that remember like you're precious. You know, you, you, you are amazing in God's sight. He's paid the price. And the wooden ring, so if you're, if you're, if you're precious and you're a diamond in God's sight, the wooden ring, the, the, the wooden band is you settling for less. So just, just remember, how does God see me? You know, and when, when you know how God sees you, that's where your self-worth comes from. That's when where your identity comes from. So when you go around in your community, wherever you live, you know that you're not going to take any rubbish. No one can approach you anyway because you know that you're a son. You know that you're a daughter of a king that loves you, who's already paid the price. So someone can't just come and approach you anyway. So just remembering, how does God see me? That's where my identity is. Amen. All right, this is what we're going to do. I'm just going to ask these guys for any closing comments. Um, and then what I'm going to do is get us to stand and we're going to worship and we're going to pray and just see what God does. And this is a bit more than anything else I'm looking forward to because honestly, I know that some of the stuff you would have heard is resonating. And now I know because some of you are now getting sweaty palms and some of you are shifting around a little bit. And some of you are thinking, can I get out and 
to the exit without anybody seeing. No, I see everybody. <laughs> but we really just want to give an opportunity for God to come and do his work in us. You've got some of the best people I know in the Rhythm Factory here who want to pray with you and talk to you. You can come and talk to us about anything. We're here. We're here all day. We've got a, a, a 2 p.m. prayer meeting in the Rhythm Factory specifically around serious youth violence in the UK. I'd encourage you all to be there. I'm hoping that some young people are going to be talking about their experiences and we can pray directly into what's going on. So there's some encouragement there. So I'm just going to say, any, any closing comments? Um, I think for me, I have two things to say. And it's what to do when we go like, out of our lives. And the first thing is, is this, that we, we can't bear our society. We don't do anything. It's not our strength that, that will change people. It, it's God. And um, when you draw near to him, he will do all of these things. When we pray to him, loving Jesus and going out and showing people who he is and showing the people in um, the gangs and in that lifestyle that actually like, there's someone better, there's something better. And even though it might take a long while, and like Ben said before, it's not, it's not the one talk or the one seminar that's going to change people's lives. It's being involved in people's lives, being people who are like in my life that were there to, to show me actually there's a different way. And, um, and another part of it is being involved in church. So like last, this time last year, I wasn't interested in church at all. But um, over this year, I've learned how important church is because church is the family that replaces the gang family. And church is the place where um, you learn and you grow as a Christian. So when you leave from here, it's actually not about what can I do. It's actually, God, can you do this? God, can you, can you change these people's lives? And, and um, for me, it's a challenge for me because I know so many people that are involved in it. And all, all you've you got to do is just love Jesus, get involved in the church, you know, show people, get people to it. And you'll see life change and we see a society get better. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Closing comment. Um, from personal experience, I would say that it's never too late. And you've never done something so extreme that you can't turn back. Um, yeah, that's speaking from personally. I was probably in the darkest place. And I was introduced to God like 12 years before I became a Christian. I had done some twists and turns, um, saw some dark things, did some dark things. And I think that he will cleanse you. So no matter how ashamed you feel of what you've done um, or what you've done to people, he will make it okay. Amen. Amen. I just wanted to say that I was probably like nine or ten when God first began to speak to me about the things he wanted me to do in the world. Um, and I just feel like God is waiting to just give you pictures and visions of what he's called you to do. And some of you need a picture in your mind of what God has made you for that is better than anything you can imagine. Yeah. And he's willing and open to give you that. And I just think if you open your heart to him, spend time praying and talking to the people around you. If you need a clear picture of what God is saying he's made you for, that's something you can pray into and work towards to give you clarity and focus in life. Amen. 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 
Um, I think we've spoken quite a lot today about culture um, influencing young people, but actually I want to say that you are all culture changers. Um, and when we see culture changing like across history, it's always young people that makes it change quickest. So you have a huge amount of influence, and God already has a vision of what he wants that culture to look like, and he wants you to buy into it and be part of that change. So, yeah, I just want to encourage you with that. Amen. Let's give this panel incredible, just a big hand.